the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Who is American and what does that mean? In a new book called We Refuse to Forget, author Caleb Gale interrogates the notions of race and ethnicity and how they place people in the American experiment. He'll join us today to talk about the power that can be found in thinking harder and more deeply about how we identify ourselves and others in our nation. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. From a really young age, we're categorized in this country. We do this to each other, even, putting our peers into particular boxes, assigning them specific identities. We become known as Arab or Latino or Jewish or Muslim, black or Native American. But kids don't come up with this exercise all by themselves. Every so often we check off literal boxes that tell the federal government who we are. And these identities mean a lot to most of us. They tell people who we are, where we belong in this country, and maybe a little bit about where we came from. But there's a problem with this process in America. For many Americans, and particularly those of us who are African Americans, we don't know as much as we should about our histories because those stories were stripped away from us never properly recorded or intentionally destroyed. And in the loss of those stories, many of us don't know a lot about where we came from. And that lack of knowledge shakes the foundations of many of our senses of ourselves, many of our identities. It keeps people unmoored from the world and it prevents challenges to mainstream stories that are often untrue or even hurtful. And that's because labels and identities don't just tell us about who we are. They tell us about our family histories as well as our collective identities. They tell us where we sit within the American experiment. Caleb Gale is a writer and author of a new book called We Refuse to Forget, A True Story of Black Creek's American Identity, and Power. It's about African Americans who were part of the Native American Creek tribe, but it's also about what happens when we look deeper into the nuances of our histories. It's about what happens when we interrogate the kind of overwhelming narratives that we accept as true about who we are and where we come from and where we fit in America. It's about what becomes of our present, both collective and personal, when we dig into the past with clarity and openness. It's a wonderful read, and it is extremely thought-provoking, and I'm really, really excited to welcome Caleb Gale to Detroit Today to discuss it. Caleb, it's great to have you with us. Steven, it's so so good to be back with you guys. I think we haven't talked since last year, yes. um, and so it's so good to be back. Yes. No, I'm really excited to, to have you here to talk about this great new work. Uh, so you were born in New York, but uh, partially raised in Oklahoma. Um, How did you come across this story, and why was it important to you to follow a story about an intersectional history, about a history that included 
African-Americans who were also part of Native tribes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, when we when we got to Oklahoma, it, it didn't take long for us um, as a family to interact with people who had these histories. But I, in particular, interacted with some folks who had that history um, who were kids like me. Right. I, I was you know, eight or nine. And these kids would look me in the eye and tell me that I got Indian. And though indelicately articulated, it, it harkened back to a much more powerful history than I at that time was probably prepared to really understand and appreciate. But I think to some great extent that that phrase, quite frankly, you know, haunted me, right? Um, it, it punctured a hole in the very kind of prescriptive and um, almost calcified categories that I had become accustomed to. Right. And it also, at least, I think, gave me an opportunity as the son of immigrants to also rethink the way in which I saw myself. So to some extent, you know, I found this story decades ago, but it wasn't until I was writing at The Guardian about these families who were suing um, the Creek Nation to to regain their citizenship, that it really came full circle, that these kids weren't just spreading myths. They were actually telling a pretty complicated story that they probably, like me, couldn't fully wrap their heads around mm-hmm. um, at the ripe old age of, you know, nine. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I want to pull the lens back just a little here and talk about why this is important and significant, why it matters to understand the complexity of race and ethnicity in this country, and I guess why uh, why so many of us don't appreciate that or interrogate it. What, what is it about knowing uh, this this overlap in in Oklahoma, for instance, uh, that that makes us understand ourselves and each other? better in in america sure i mean i i probably said last month on your show but i'll say it again which is i think in order to understand kind of the american project one must go to oklahoma right in part because um oklahoma when we think about it was and still is has been almost this laboratorical project on the behalf of the United States government to try and fashion what we can become, right? We're thinking after where a lot of this book actually is, after Reconstruction, Indian territory was kind of seen as a potential opportunity to rethink how we were going to express ourselves as a country. And to some great extent, right, in studying this story, right, this this uh, kind of curious way in which people who were black, but also Creek, people who had all of these interesting experiences and lived kind of just beyond the reach of the United States government Indian in, in Indian territory, were able to kind of create for themselves their own self-determined path for how they wanted to live. And quite frankly, by studying this story, we see that the, the United States government didn't have the interest of these groups in mind. Rather, they disrupted them for the purposes of not so much just ensuring um, a certain way of life, but also to ensure that um, these groups that sat on the margins of society couldn't also live abundantly. And we, it's not, I wish that the story was, and that happened a long time ago, and it's nothing like that now. No, I mean, still today, right, we we have a tendency of attaching to people tendencies and behaviors based upon their skin tone or their ethnicity that quite frankly have never been there, right? They're, they're of, they're something of a fiction. And so by studying this story, by diving into the history of Oklahoma, this, this curious place that had the opportunity to be, to, to provide autonomous governance and experiences, that were more inclusive for people who weren't white men, um, how the United States government kind of presided over its its downfall. 
So to me, I think in studying this story, we actually learn a whole lot more about ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with Caleb Gale. Uh, he is the author of a new book called We Refuse to Forget, a true story of Black Creek's American identity and power. Uh, Gale is a professor at Northeastern University, uh, born in New York. His family is from uh, Jamaica. He's also an award-winning journalist who writes about race and identity. We talked to him uh, last year, actually, about a piece that he wrote in The Atlantic about Oklahoma and uh, the Greenwood District there. Uh, today we're talking about uh, race and identity as it relates to Black Creeks, uh, a tribe in Oklahoma, and how the ethnicity of that tribe and African Americans overlaps in a way that might be surprising and important in the ways that we think of ourselves as Americans, how we identify ourselves in an ethnic or racial way. Um, we want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Uh, call and tell us if you've been taking a second look at your own identity and American history. Have you learned something about your own family story uh, tell us what led you to that moment. Tell us what you learned about yourself that maybe surprised you. Uh, also, talk about if you have a mixed ethnic or racial background. In fact, of course, all of us really do. It's just some people actually know what that background is and others don't. Uh, call and tell us about uh, how you've learned about the dynamic of uh, the mix of history that uh, makes up you, you and your family. Uh, what does it mean to you to know your past in a really full way? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and uh, hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into uh, the conversation before we get to listeners, Caleb, I want to I want to talk about the the center of this story of this narrative. Uh, it's a person named Cow Tom who is a Black Creek. Uh, tell us about his story, who he was, and how he became Creek, and why you decided to make him the protagonist here in this story. Yeah, you know, Cow Tom is one of the one of several protagonists in the story. And in part, the reason is because he kind of ornately, his life is like the imminent expression of everything I'm trying to convey in the book. So Cow Tom um, was, you know, assumed to be a slave by by several people who with whom he interacted, um, but was actually never a slave, right? Um, according to his family's oral history, he was a black man born sometime around 1810, um, along the western coast of Florida, and made the long trek along with many other um, um, uh, Native Americans from the southeastern United States to what then became Oklahoma. Um, but he, unlike many, was also black. Um, and in so doing, um, he not only um, rose in the ranks as, a, as an interpreter on behalf of several Creek chiefs, he also um, became uh, one of the chiefs in the nation. Um, and during the Civil War, um, when crisis had broken out all over Indian Territory, along with the rest of the United States, he really stepped up in a big leadership role and post the Civil War helped to negotiate a peace treaty with the U.S. government that, amongst many other things, also secured um, not just the emancipation of black people within the Creek Nation. It also secured their citizenship rights, um, which his descendants today still claim those rights have not been abrogated. They are still good. Um, and so essentially his family then got access to, to land, an opportunity, an opportunity that wasn't provided to black people in the rest of the United States government, or within the, within the rest of the United States, within rather, you know, his family became quite successful rich, as some might say. Um, but again, decades later, they were given the boot from the Creek Nation because of a distinction that, again, was something of a fiction um, in terms of its political import, which was the color of their skin. Yeah. And, and what does all this tell us about whiteness? I mean, I think mm. it's impossible to talk about identity 
and race even in in America without thinking about whiteness, which of course is a, a kind of fundamental precept really of the United States and and it guides policy in so many different ways from from the jump. So so what does this distinction and overlap of uh, African Americans and Black Creeks tell us about uh, what it means to be white in mm. America? Yeah, so I think what the reason it's such a powerful question is because whiteness, at least within the context of America, is really um, a construct of power, right? Um, and so then what it does is all of us who are not white are then having our identities fashioned by white people in America historically um, in proximity to whiteness, mm -hmm. right? So, so to some great extent, we are all um, in, in varying degrees of power, and that has manifested in whether or not one could pass as white or whether someone's skin tone was darker or fairer. Um, and, and so what this story does for us is it, it demonstrates kind of the, the almost ubiquitous nature of, of whiteness in America, right? How it's kind of been inscribed into almost all that we do in America. So what, what this story allows us, especially when we think about the distinctions of, of specific, specifically blackness within the Creek Nation is really much more so a question of how have we allowed whiteness to fashion our identities, right? Because even the, the reason that black people are, are, many black people who have this history within the Creek Nation are not citizens is in part because of rules on blood quantum mm -hmm. or percentages of, you know, this sounds crass, but Indian blood that people may or may not have in them and how blackness immediately became a too dilutive of an identity factor for these black people to retain their Creek identity. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we are going to continue this really interesting conversation with Caleb Gale about his book, We Refuse to Forget, a true story of Black Creeks, American Identity and Power. We're going to get to you on the phones and on social media. Uh, if you want to join, call and tell us. Uh, what do you make of your identity in America, your racial identity, your ethnic identity? How do you define that? Uh, do you find it differently today than you did Perhaps when you were a young person, did you learn things about your history or your identity as an adult that you didn't know? Also, give us a sense of what you think of the incredible mix of histories and identity that make up uh, most of us in America and uh, how exciting it can be to learn about and find out about those things. 313-577-1019 uh, is the number here on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work into the conversation. We'll be right back getting the listener comments. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always... Thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Caleb Gale, who is uh, the author of a new book called We Refuse to Forget, a true story of Black Creeks, American Identity, and Power. Uh, we're talking about the ways in which identity and racial identity in particular uh, attends the kind of power that we have or don't have in America. Also talking about the ways in which our identities overlap in ways that we maybe don't uh, understand, maybe don't know about. Uh, lots of people these days are digging into their own pasts uh, with tools that we didn't have five or 10 or 20 years ago uh, to learn more about 
where they came from and who they are. Uh, lots of us are finding things uh, that we didn't know, things that maybe surprise us about who we are and how we identify ourselves. Uh, we want to hear from you about uh, that experience. Uh, are you someone who's learned something that you didn't know about yourself uh, in adulthood? Uh, give us a sense of how you make sense of who you are in America and how you make sense of the kind of overlapping identities that many of us have. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start today with Bernadette in Old Redford. Bernadette, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. I, in 1999, I attended the family reunion of the Pearson family in Youngstown, Ohio. And found out that we, as far as our history is concerned, we came from Dublin, Georgia. I was fortunate to receive a photo album dating back to the history of our family, 1844. Uh, I would like to know more, and I got one of those ancestry kits, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of worried about how that database might be used. Can you comment on that? Well, that's an interesting question, uh, uh, Bernadette. I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of expertise in in the ways uh, in which that data is being used. And I got to say that I am somebody who's uh, also curious about it. Uh, Caleb, I don't know if you can shed some light on that for for Bernadette. It does seem to kind of fit into the the narrative here of uh, the, the worry that people have about identity and who knows and how it can be used for or against you, I guess. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there are, you know, some great resources, especially if you're beginning that journey or continuing down that journey, but in the debt um, of, of learning more about your family history, I would recommend, you know, contact like the Georgia Historical Society um, or sometimes the, the local historical societies that are even located within specific towns County records, especially if you're if you're worried about um, how your data may or may not be used. I'm not an expert on on how your data might be used, but there there are other resources beyond um, some of those ancestry DNA kits. An additional kind of consideration is using things like Ancestry.com that has done an excellent job, you know, tapping all of those public resources and and innately putting together um, a much more user friendly way of identifying. Um, part of your history, especially if you already have some of those documents. Mm-hmm. Then the last thing I would recommend is kind of the African American Resource Center over at the National Museum of African American History, which allows you to then kind of add your family's names and history to the record um, in a way that's that's quite both gentle but also affirming, um, so that you can be involved in, in creating with people who are who are archivists and historians, kind of creating that labyrinth of your own family story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bernadette, really great question. And I'm glad you, uh, you called. I want to read a couple social media comments. Uh, Mark, who's uh, Mark Wallace, who was the CEO of our Riverfront Conservancy here in uh, Detroit, says, great conversation. Uh, love the suggestion to start with Oklahoma. Reminds me of the themes and history in Watchmen with Tulsa and the Oklahoma musical weaved into the early episodes. Um, Also, uh, Deep Eastside on Twitter says, Having been considered African-American for most of my life, I found in adulthood that I have more Native ancestry than anything else. He says, Black people seem annoyed if I mention it. White people's eyes glaze over. Uh, That's a really, that is a really interesting um, observation about how others react to our own discovery or understanding uh, of who we are. And that's a, that's a central dynamic to uh, the story that you're, that you're telling here, Caleb. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I think, I think another thing to kind of think about is, you know, the, the, I think one, one thing I really wanted to kind of leave readers with was the push to really kind of add to our stories kind of a not a division uh, or distance from power or proximity to it but rather just the beauty of telling our stories the beauty of diving back deeper such that when we say african-american or black or anything like that 
we're not adding dilution. We're just rather adding an, another interesting node of history that that we otherwise wouldn't know, right? It, I'm, I, I think one of the things I kind of end the book with is, you know, I really don't want us to give up on our vision for America, that America can be as beautifully complex as we want it to be, but it will kind of demand of us that we hold on to these stories that we've been told, even sometimes the ones that seem so far-fetched, like I thought they were when I first moved to Oklahoma. Hmm. Wow. Uh, again, I uh, really appreciate uh, the comments there. Let's go next to Howard in Detroit. Howard, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for uh, having me on. Um, I just wanted to say I love this conversation. I think it's incredibly important, especially for us as African-Americans, to do more um, research on our own histories, considering so much documentation uh, is is locked away or, or has been lost to time. I just really appreciate the conversation. Hmm. Um, but my comment was, uh, like many, I did an ancestry test and the oral history of my family was that on my mother's side, we were part Native American, uh, which is a, a story that is passed down in many African-American families. And through the DNA, we found out that that, uh, at least genetically, was uh, was untrue. And, and through more research, we actually found out our lineage goes all the way back to, to the Dane law of, of, of Eastern England when the Vikings took over a swath of England. So um, a very, very different, uh, a very, very different sort of origin story, I guess, than than what we were told. But uh, I found this story in this particular conversation to be incredibly interesting because there are still so many African-Americans who were a part of tribes who may not necessarily have genetically been a part of those tribes, but uh, definitely, you know, we're we're on the same journey we're as many culturally. Of them. So I thank you. Sure. Exactly. So yep, so Howard, you so Howard, I, I'm curious um, what your reaction was, uh, if you had much of one, when you found out that these stories you had been told were not true, and when you found out that you had a really different history, a, a really different story about you know how you came to be. It, it was a combination of um, wholeness. Uh, I felt a little bit more myself, which is very strange. But in the same sense, I also felt a deep sort of sadness that someone in my family along the way felt the need that they couldn't be themselves. And so this story came about, whether it be that they were a product of some sort of assault or uh, hiding from, you know, miscegenation laws or, or something. Um, that this person was not allowed to be essentially a whole person and fully embrace who they were, um, that made me actually very sad. Wow. But for me personally, uh, it, it was incredibly enlightening, and, and I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Howard, I really love the, the, the candidness and the story that uh, you shared with us here. Uh, Caleb, I wonder what your reactions are to Howard's story. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I loved it in part because that's, that's kind of that was all that was the whole point right was to realize that un, until we accept all of the ways in which we've been right we're 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 kind of denying our own selves um our, the fullness of our humanity and in many ways by retelling the stories of some of our even you know kind of american heroes like george washington was in this context right um mm -hmm. by not telling kind of both the good and the bad when it came to people like Washington and others, that we were denying ourselves um, and that person, their full humanity, the range of opportunities to be both good and bad, right? So I, I love the fact that that's what you're taking away, and um, and it means so much to me, uh, Howard, that, that that was your takeaway. It, it makes my day to be perfectly normal. Yeah. Uh, you know, what you're, what you're pointing out there that um... – I guess, aversion to or fear of complexity that we have in this country when it comes to our history um, is, is a really interesting it's a really interesting dynamic because the, the simplicity, I guess, that we are often so wedded to mm -hmm. is, is, is so absurd, uh, you know, in, in, in many ways. The, the, it's not possible that um, that people could be as uh, two-dimensional as we want them to be, or that that the story of 
uh, a people, uh, the American mm-hmm. people, could be as two-dimensional as we want it to be. And, and there's still this, I think, some of the pushback uh, that we that we hear and and feel is about that that fear of of understanding and leaning into the idea of complexity as just as being human. Definitely, definitely, exactly. I think that if if we are in fact human fully, and that means appreciating all the different ways in which we've been and can be, right? Um, that means that we can no longer. We can no longer, you know, simply rest on categories that none of us really asked to be created, right, in order to identify people. That means we have to engage with people in a deeper way. We have to show up for ourselves in bigger ways. It means we have to also confront, right, the, the difficult and challenging aspects of our own histories, our, our present and our future, right? And I think to some extent that's, that's incredibly fear, fear-inducing, even for me, um, even though I wrote this book and I'm encouraging people to do that, but man, how much, how much more interesting and how much more, how much more kind would we be to one another? How much more in, in, embedded and responsible would we feel to one another to be there for one another as humans if we truly did that? I, I hope that that's the, the, the takeaway, and hopefully that's where we where we can strive to to one day ending up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Caleb Gale about uh, his book, We Refuse to Forget. Uh, Also, get to more of your social media and phone comments. Perry in Detroit, Sam in Mount Clemens, Tim in Detroit, we will hear from you next. If you want to join them on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number here. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest Today is Caleb Gale, author of We Refuse to Forget, a true story of Black Creeks, American Identity and Power. We're talking about race and identity, ethnicity and American history, the way those things kind of all fold over on each other and overlap in ways that sometimes we don't know about uh, and sometimes we're uncomfortable with the idea uh, that they do. Uh, We want to hear from you as well about how you think of race and identity in this country, how you think of your own identity in this country, what you've learned about who you are and where you're from, and how that changes your sense of where you fit in uh, our country. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media, to Facebook and to Twitter, and put comments there, and we can include you in the show uh, uh, that way. Uh, Caleb, before we get back to our listeners, I, I do want to talk more explicitly about um, uh, Oklahoma and and Greenwood um, uh, and the role that that plays in this, in this narrative. Uh, a, a commenter alluded to it a little uh, earlier in the conversation, but, but I, I feel like uh, there's some exhibition, exposition there that's important about what happened there and how that sort of fits into this story of, uh, of Black Creeks as well. Sure. Yeah. You know, the Tulsa race massacre, um, which destroyed much of what we now call Greenwood or Tulsa's black wall street, right. Uh, it came after, you know, black people had established strong roots in that area and surrounding towns that were known as all black towns. But in particular, when we look at Greenwood, right, we, we realize that much of that land, right. Um, much of the opportunities that were fostered within Greenwood and for black people and many other black towns were really created in part because of the, the land held by birthright by black 
members or citizens of not just the Creek Nation, but also the Cherokee Nation and others. And so to some great extent, we have these people to thank for the creation of that opportunity, right? Um, Black people owning land, Mm -hmm. businesses, companies, so on and so forth in, in that, in that neighborhood was, was not that unusual uh, for, for the context of Oklahoma. You go to places like Bowley and Slick and Tallahassee and parts of Muskogee and parts of Haskell and Porter, all of these places had black ownership. In fact, it was written back in 1890 um, by, by um, a set of statisticians that came to visit Oklahoma, um, which was at that time still Indian Territory. When they visited eastern Oklahoma, they said this might be the best prospect and best opportunity, best hope for the Negro in America, in part because of the landedness, the groundedness, mm. um, the ownership that a lot of black people had in this this portion of the eastern part of Indian Territory, which of course includes Tulsa, Oklahoma. So, so this story really kind of breathes newer life—not even newer, but kind of a a a, a richer. It, it tells a richer story about not just you know Greenwood and Black Wall Street or even the massacre that then followed. Mm-hmm. It, it tells a larger story about the fifty black towns that sprung up all over all over Oklahoma the 13 that still remain today. It, it, it shows us what it looks like to experiment perhaps with giving people maybe not even reparations, but rather the opportunity that most black people have never been given in this country. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Perry in Detroit. Perry, what's on your mind? Uh, yes, Stephen, thank you for taking uh, my call. Mm-hmm. And I had to rush out here on my break because I love your <laughs> program. But you know, listen, this is just a, a, a different perspective on it. I was listening to the caller who called earlier who uh, had went about telling that he was Native American, then he found out that he was European. First of all, black, and I'm African-American, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, black people like and they love identifying with other races because of our own self loathing how we've being black in america has somehow been meant to feel less than looked at as being inferior and secondly uh and i thank the caller for his uh take on greenwood any type of success in america like in green not just in oklahoma but anywhere it has to be destroyed it has to be destroyed because any type of black success in america invalidates that viewpoint that blacks are inferior, that mm-hmm. blacks aren't capable of being successful or and living on par with uh, white Americans. But it, to the caller's point, yes, we all are human. And can you just imagine how much better we would be not only as a country, but as a planet that if everybody, especially here in America, if we just realized that we are one, we're Americans, we are Americans, we are Americans. We just like fingers on the hand, Um, (laughs) one hand, but different fingers. Mm. Uh, And I thank you for taking the call. And I thank the caller. Yeah, I I really appreciate the call, Perry, and uh, and the really uh, intricate thinking that you're doing there. Um, Caleb Gale, this idea of the self-loathing that that Perry is talking about that, of course, is not exclusively internal, right? It's it's external. It's foist upon African Americans by the history of of this country, but it does play a role in this this idea of identity and how we struggle to kind of unearth identity um, in in this country. And when when we talk about Native Americans and the overlap there. Um, you know, there there is this idea of well, um, you know, uh, being black is being just black uh, is somehow not enough um, in this mm. country. And again, that's not our idea; it's an idea that we got from the history of this country. Sure, yeah, and I appreciate Perry that 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 question and those remarks. Yeah, I think that a few things. One, it's really really critical. To kind of remember that you know the, the stories of black people, um, especially those who were formerly enslaved, 
um, kind of writing in almost mythical fashion about what opportunities lie west, right? We oftentimes think about kind of the, the conquest of the West and the exploration of the West as a bunch of white guys on horses on, in, you know, in, in spaghetti westerns or something like that. But in actuality, you know, there were plenty of black people who dreamed of um, establishing themselves um, in the West. And even, you know, people like, you know, Toni Morrison um, in, in her book Paradise, or even people like Henri Jeffers, who who wrote, you know, the love songs of W.B. Du Bois, have written about the lives of black people who also had a share in 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 citizenship within these uh, indigenous nations. It's really also important to remember, most of all, especially for for Howard, who who talked about it earlier, is that you know these were political entities, right? And I think that's really, really important to remember that the Muskogee Creek Nation was and is a sovereign nation. Mm-hmm. It is it is it it is a nation like any other nation that has its laws, its rules, its regulations, its court systems. And so one could be a citizen of that nation without relegating the identity or citizenship in that nation to a race. Yeah. Right? And I think that's that's critical. That's what that's the most perhaps devastating work of um, of white supremacy within this country is that it it would winnowed and whittled down kind of the the inventiveness of the nation the the sovereignty of the nation to a race right because you can't subject subjugate a nation you can try to subjugate a race yeah. right and the more in which they diluted the Muscogee Creek Nation and other nations all around this country. Um, from being independent, sovereign, autonomous, governing nations into races, the more they kind of whittle down. So oftentimes, yeah, you can take an Ancestry.com or a, a Ancestry you know, kit DNA test and realize that you're not maybe with, you know, your blood might not necessarily speak to that history. That's why I argue so heavily in the book to retain these histories regardless sometimes of the, the lack of a DNA test to tell that story, because these nations were, in fact, that they were nations, yeah. and they still are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, uh, really appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, let's go to Tim in Detroit. Tim. Hi. Hi. Uh, you know, I, I've had uh, uh, friends and, and relatives talk about their Indian ancestry and i was uh, always skeptical but I, i'm finding out as the research comes out that it's, it's more to that story than we've been told i, I don't know if, if your guess is familiar with the old mech civilization i am i'm not sure are you familiar with that Caleb? i'm not as as familiar no hmm. the old mech civilization of these giant african heads that they found in veracruz mexico hmm that there have been there thousands of years, but it's research is, is available now. If you go to the internet, there are books and libraries that tell the truth because what we, what we have been told is probably 180 degrees from the truth. <laughs> I mean, literally 180 degrees. And the and the black people who who are ashamed to be black is because they don't know their history because we have been lied to. Yeah. I mean, the very word slave is a corruption of S-L-A-V, Slav, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. means white European. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Tim, I, I really appreciate the call and, and the thoughts there. Um, Caleb, this, a lot of our callers uh, are really focused on this idea of the relationship, I guess, between Native peoples here and African Americans, uh, you know, kind of beyond uh, this particular story, and of course, that's a story that has its own really rich history and and complicated. Uh, it, it has it has a lot of overlapping parts, um, but it also has some parts that are about conflict and um, uh, and subjugation that that uh, that we also don't talk about a whole lot. Yeah, I mean the 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 reality is is that you know the first of all it's so hard to in many cases believe a history that just hasn't been taught, right? That's been so far from view. 
right? Mm-hmm. And to, to some great extent, I think it's really critical to, to remind ourselves that, you know, the subjugation experience in the United States somewhat knew no bounds, right? If, if you weren't a white guy, you were, you're probably going to, to have to negotiate for your, for your survival, for your persistence. But then also, you know, within that subjugation, I think it's really important to always maintain and remember that there was, there were really creative, abundant approaches to figuring out what citizenship and identity could look like, right? So for instance, you know, we might talk about chattel slavery in, uh, in, in the United States, right? The, the, the process whereby black people were no longer human, they were made to just be slaves, right? Um, they, they, they were just means of production, they were property. Um, and even though there are instances, several, many instances of, you know, citizens of the Creek Nation owning slaves, Right, the the notion of slavery was was rather different, right? In that, some black people who were held as slaves weren't really considered slaves. They were considered people who worked on their fields and broke bread with them in the evenings. Um, there was a more, and also on top of that, people wouldn't inherit slavery, right? So within the United States government, you know, the subjugation looked a little different, right? If I was a slave, my kids would be slaves. My kids and kids' kids would be slaves, and on down the line. Whereas within the Creek Nation, I, I could be I could be a slave at one moment, but marry someone into the Creek Nation and no longer be a slave. I, my kids' kids wouldn't have to wear the the mark of it. And that's why I was even so explicit in making sure that we distinguish between Black Creeks and freedmen, because freedmen labeled you forever as the descendant of slaves when in the case of Cal Tom and his family, they rebuffed that, that, that very notion. Yeah. So to me, that, that was really important to demonstrate that, yes, subjugation was widespread and almost ubiquitous if you weren't a white man, but it, it had layers and nuances that were really important to remember. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tim, really appreciate the call and the comments. Let's go to Sam in Mount Clemens. Sam, what's on your mind? Hey, Stephen, thanks for taking my call. Uh-huh. I just wanted to comment on the, uh, I did the DNA thing. I'm white, by the way. I did the DNA uh, ancestry mm-hmm. thing. It was unbelievable, the things I found, um, <laughs> like my biological, or what I thought was my biological grandpa, is it? And, um, but uh, I really would recommend, especially people of color, to do that because, it, the, your your DNA kind of goes in a database, and that's what it's getting the story right. I guess you know what I mean. Like yeah. uh, as people add to it, it shows like your migration uh, paths and everything of your ancestors. And I think that's one step to getting. I'm sick of telling my nine year old that some of the stuff she hears in school is crap. <laughs> and I would love us to embrace our heritage you know what i mean yeah. and and we can actually tell the truth and tell the true story of all of us you know so, yeah yeah uh, sam i really appreciate the call and uh, the comments and I, I i love the number of people who participate in the conversation today who are kind of actively involved in these questions and and caleb that's one of the things that i think you're you're really pushing in this book is the idea of interrogating the things that we're told, interrogating the stories that we've been given in a way that gets us to the truth. And, and um, you know, listening, um, listening to people talk about it, it's like peeling back an onion in some ways, right? Uh, you you, you Definitely. think it's one thing when you look at it, but you, you open it up and there's lots and lots of things underneath. Definitely. I think you hit the nail on the head and, and so did that last caller, which is, you know, that we are, we are, you know, more than we are, we contain multitudes. And in order to understand those multitudes, we can just start to take the time to do so. And, you know, if I, if I had, you know, one last thought for, for your listeners is that you don't have to embark on the journey that I did, right? You don't have to, you know, spend years, you know, researching and all of that. But perhaps some of it starts with just starting to, you know, I talk to, to family members, elders, to better understand how was life, what, how, what was life like, and how did they experience it, and mm. what their histories were. 
um, to begin to kind of try and harness as many of those stories as humanly possible because they contain such richness because it's not just the facts of what happened that are interesting. It's oftentimes, oftentimes, right, the, the ways in which we, we experience those facts, the way in which we um, encountered them over time and in different contexts that often perhaps provide an indication of, of who we are now and perhaps who we can build ourselves to be in the future. Okay, uh, Caleb Gale, author of We Refuse to Forget, A True Story of Black Creek's American Identity and Power. It was really wonderful to talk to you again here on Detroit Today, and uh, congratulations on the new book. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you so much to all of your listeners. Yeah. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk to a Republican about what can make the Republican Party maybe more appealing to urban voters. We're also going to talk an awful lot about what is going on in the city of Detroit this political season. Remember, August 2nd, we all go to the polls in the primary election, and this is the first time that we're voting under the new maps that were drawn as part of the decennial redistricting process. Lots of change happening in the city of Detroit. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.